Well, yeah, we're just sitting here and pondering life's vicissitudes. Currently here in Canada, Parliament's been shut down. Um, funding to support Canadians who've been asked to stay in lockdown or just who can't even earn a living because of COVID, that funding is about to end. Our Prime Minister and his government's so corrupt and been convicted and we're about to be convicted again. Shuts down Parliament the same day that uh, he puts out um, a bunch of documents that are very damning. Sadly, the documents are as redacted as, say, a Nixon-era era file. So it's, it's pretty sad, right? And in, in the midst of this, our own CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, supposed to be representing all Canadians, obviously, because they're funded to the tune of a billion or billion and a half dollars, again, to report the truth and take care of Canadians and, you know, yada yada. Here, journalists, well, sorry, before that, the CBC puts up um, the opposition uh, critic and puts up his uh, speech. I didn't, I couldn't even handle it. Puts up a 40-some minute um, segment where the translator is talking over the minister and the minister speaking French, the translator speaking English, and trust me, not translating it properly because they were choosing different words, which takes away the meaning. But it's very obvious um, that this was done on purpose because why wasn't there one in English and one in French? As they normally do, turn down the English, uh, vice versa. Right? Why? Because if you speak French, you can't hear the minister speak because the English translators talking over him. If you speak English, you can't hear the translation because the minister is speaking French and it's talking over the translator. And trust me, the translator is just um, doing a terrible job of it. And if you're bilingual like myself, and I can't speak for people who are one way or the other, right, speak some French or some English, but for the bilingual, um, it's just enough English and just enough French and they play with the levels enough or the translator is uh, sticking her face in the mic just enough that when I'm listening to the minister speaking French, she'll just jump in just enough, speak enough English to pull me right out. And she, of course, is not translating properly, directly, and she's not keeping up. So it just pulls me out completely, right? So in the midst of this crisis, the worst uh, economic or medical crisis in the history of modern mankind, arguably, obviously. We have journalists asking the conservatives, okay, so we have one of the most corrupt and ineffective and now uh, spending-hungry governments and the opposite of transparent, which is their slogan, we have a journalist asking, okay, so if they're so bad, which they are, why don't you just accept them the way they are um, or do something about it, right? Meaning calling out um, these ineffective policies, programs, and worse yet, some of these malevolent acts isn't doing his job. As he said, actually, he said he's uh, been given the mandate 
uh, as opposition. So he's doing his job. But again, he didn't go so far as I would have and called out the journalists and say, so what you're saying here is in the time of the worst economic and health crises of our time, you're saying that either we should support the most corrupt government that Canada has ever known, uh, allow them to continue uh, to, you know, screw everything up and waste taxpayers' dollars and abuse their uh, power and privilege. We should just accept that. Or we should be bringing down the entire government, right? But, but nowhere is there the middle in this where maybe we should ask the uh, government in power, the liberals in this case, to do their job, right? Follow the law. Um, follow the ethics, right? Because this is about the third or fourth ethics conviction. Maybe they should mandate this. Or how about, let's discuss, maybe it's the people that are um, being dualistic. Because... I always think back to uh, 2015 or 16 when uh, this government put together their, their uh, cabinet. Now, I mean, the other example was even the conservative cabinet because, again, I'm not a supporter of party politics or personality. I'm a supporter of the people. So I will give the example of the conservatives first. You don't think I'm anti one or the other. The conservatives had a member a child, elected, uh, homeschooled, which is fine, but this particular homeschooled is a religious zealot, wants to outlaw what he doesn't feel is right, but the party says, no, he doesn't represent our, uh, our, our policy. And, our and now, fast forward, I find out he's now in their cabinet. So just more propaganda or lies. Either way, malevolent, right? So here's the liberal cabinet, right, who says they're for the people and they're transparent. And yet, right, third conviction on ethics, but they won't start doing what they're supposed to, right? Be ethical. Okay, as proven by the blackface. Everyone laughs about this, but I mean, why do we have a politician in power? who doesn't know the difference between right and wrong and doesn't even know how many times. And I can tell you, I'm the exact same age as this Prime Minister, and at every stage of my life, I knew. Not because I was more educated, in fact, arguably much less uh, so, because the real power and privilege lies in money, which he had, right, and others do not. But even in spite of those limitations in education and, and wealth, I knew that blackface was wrong, absolutely wrong, right? But let's fast forward to when he's elected and he suggests that because it's 2016, he had a mandate to put in a 50% male and 15% female. Now, let's just ignore the fact that he looked at their sex, which true equality should be, you don't look at either. But let's look, if he really meant... 2016, so we should see an equal number of women as men who have been elected. You can certainly encourage more women to run, but 
at least here in Canada, it's the party who chooses who gets to run. So if only 10 or 20 percent of the members of parliament, elected officials, are female, the fault is not uh, the citizens who didn't elect women. It was the fact that the party itself didn't put more women forward. So let's fast forward to when they're elected and they put in two and three times as many women as are represented by the elected officials. So let me follow this here. I know the, the uh, and I'm not going to make a lot of people upset by this, but so let's follow this logic. So because the average Canadian won't elect a woman, right, we have less women elected, but we have less women put forward as candidates. But it's because women won't elect them. But wait a minute. Who's going to be the first person to say this is wrong, that we're looking at a person's sex before their qualifications? So that goes to the next thing. So if you put forward half of your cabinet as women when only a small fraction of that, not a small fraction, but only a fraction of that is actually represented by the elected um, members, the rest is arbitrarily chosen because of their sex. So let's follow this and go, so the problem is there's not enough women represented. Let's put more women forward. So let's arbitrarily use sex to fight an inequality based on sex. Hmm. No, no. I don't see it, but what I'm talking about is the population. Who was there to call this out? To say, it's 2016. What, it's 2016, so half the members of parliament are women. So, of course, half the cabinet. That would be something we could talk about. If half the members of parliament were women and half were men, and his cabinet wasn't half and half. Or if 40% were women and 60% were men, and he chose. That would be understandable. But when they use the argument that the 10 or 20% of women that were put forward by the party... Uh, were all they could select, but they were the best, and in fact, arguably better than most of the men, because they had to be better to be uh, chosen in the first place. So that's saying that the vast majority of men are actually inferior. Once again, encouraging this sex-based duality, right? So where are the people calling this out and saying, no, dude, that's not right? You can't put half the population in just because. Right? I mean, I've talked about this before. I, I worry that when we're changing the entire society for one very small portion of society, we're risking them as well as the society itself. Look at the divisiveness that's being caused by simple little policies, right? The environmental concern, right? What is it? Landlocking Canadian oil, right? Don't have a pipeline, but that oil's still got to be transported. Right? So all that does is keep it here in Canada and allows a very small group of people to purchase it at a discount. But where are the people who are talking about this hypocrisy that, hey, wait a minute, why are we against pipelines but we're not against oil, right? Why are we not for Canadian people but we're against this, that, or the other thing? Why are we listening to a small minority? Why are we handicapping ourselves because of some arbitrary label, right? Because it came to me today, again, um, in the IT field, and as well as in other fields, obviously, there's a lot of flakes around. Flakes meaning people who don't follow through, right? 
in IT, it's fairly common. Someone will promise you the world and uh, flake out on you, right? So here I'm running into a contract where, in this case, it's the, uh, the client who's being pretty flaky, right? And of course, I'm thinking to myself, geez, am I being flaky? Is he being flaky? Now, struck me. What is the difference between someone who's failing and someone who's not? I argue it's not the, the act itself of failing. Right? It's, it's the self-reflection. It's the uh, holding yourself accountable. Right? Just like we talked about in the Gita. Right? You can achieve this liberation through you know, knowledge yoga or jnana yoga. But the better path is action, just as I've said for Buddhism, right? You can certainly uh, sequester yourself away to sit on a little cushion somewhere. Um, but is that going to prepare you for when stuff really hits the fan? Like right now, right? I'm seeing uh, stuff that makes me very sad, right? Um, that they're saying there could be... Um, a crippling number of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, victims because of the COVIDs, right? And me coming from an economic background, I'm seeing an absolute nightmare ahead of us. And I'm already seeing some of the, uh, the modern uh, attacks uh, coming from some of these economies that arguably are going to be crippled because of this, right? Uh, cyber warfare is the new thing. I'm sure all of us have seen uh, the rise in hacks. I mentioned our own uh, revenue agency is shut down because of hacks. Uh, I mean, identity theft is but a, a small thing. Like They only tell us one small portion of the actual hacks that are out there. And yet, it's just grown exponentially, and things really haven't hit the fan, as I said. Right? So that's where it struck me, like I've said before. Mindfulness. Mindfulness is that Heart Sutra. It may not be contemporary to the Buddha, but it certainly could, because, as the Buddha said, you need to be gone, right? So gone from what? This is the three, the three states, right? You need to be gone from that imaginary state. You need to stop indulging in this world. You need to be gone, that second gone. So you're gone, gone from the imaginary state, gone to the dependent uh, reality state where you understand that everything is dependent on um, a cause and effects. So you understand the nature of all of this, right? That it isn't a single source, right? It's not just China's fault because of um, them hiding whatever, how many of their numbers. That wouldn't have changed a lot. It's not just uh, WHO's fault for having pushed, uh, you know, um, an artificial narrative or it's not just uh, the Canadian government's fault for having messed up and sent all of our personal protective equipment over to China long after they were warned that we had a pandemic incoming. And it won't be the fault of our government when the second and third wave comes, right? Because we're not calling out the true culprits here. Sure, the disease is not as bad as uh, they said it might be, and it certainly doesn't seem as bad as it could be for all of these precautions. But Think of how bad it is uh, with all of the space in between us, how bad it could be if we allowed more of these conscientious objectors, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, these idiots that won't wear a mask because whatever their problem may be, right? 
Whereas these people calling out the real problem here, these are politicians who are giving lip service to the, the people they've been elected to represent. Where are these people calling out these individuals who really aren't trying, right? Where are these people calling out businesses who are taking advantage of the situation, right? right? That's why we talk about the mindfulness, right? The true success lies in uh, judging your success, your effectiveness, not in a post-partum uh, uh, sort of way, you know what I mean? After you've given birth to uh, whatever it is you were uh, gestating. It's in the present moment, right? It's not after the fact. You don't sit down and go, well, how did I do? As we all tend to do, as, as even the medical. I mean, right now there's a big um, issue right now with some viral... Uh, um, pseudoscience going around, you know, talking about, right, uh, the pandemic. Uh, they, they're not just COVID. They're talking about uh, big pharma being, um, what would you call it, uh, uh, a big conspiracy. And I've talked about this a lot, certainly not here in the podcast, but we'll have... I'll have someone here talking about, oh my God, this pandemic movie is so terrible because he says Big Pharma is terrible. And, you know, he says, well, you can point to this as an example and say, yeah, you know, they're bad and they're pretty crooked. And, you know, but just like everything else here, the pandemic movie's blaming Big Pharma because, yeah, I mean, they're, they are really screwing stuff up and they're really harming global health. Right? But they're not the uh, complete culprit right and here we have people who are calling out you know pandemic for being uh you know fake news right same as we we were called out for fake news when we called uh the fact that the uh, disease was coming at all the call the fact that we called where it came from and all this other stuff right so fast forward to now and right so this guy is a conspiracy theorist because he says that uh, big pharma is uh, Arguably, that's what I would do. Same as Bitcoin, right? I mean, um, as an ex-banker, that's how I would have brought down Bitcoin. I wouldn't have uh, wasted any money for, by trying to scare people off from using it. I just would have bought it like crazy and used it uh, for a speculation vehicle. And by doing that, it eliminated its use for anything, right? So here's our exact situation here. So what I would do is I would have crazies go on and say, Oh, Big Pharma is so terrible. It's just kind of like a playbook that uh, a certain communist party uses, right? Accuse your accusers uh, of what you are guilty of, right? So why not have uh, some crazy... Uh, so why not have some crazy conspiracy theorists say, Oh my God, Big Pharma is uh, absolutely selling uh, poison, which this buddy, uh, the anti-conspiracy theorist and the conspiracy theorist both take a real big issue is with because neither one's <laughs> mentioning the real point here the real point is yeah that big pharma is not a big conspiracy and they're not selling poison but what they are selling is a patent and uh, synthetic chemicals uh, and just like the pandemic movie that was you know suggesting that all of the uh, healing was in plant medicine and alternative therapies and same as it's crazy that uh, they're trying to say that all of plant therapy and alternative therapies are are being um, 
they're subject to uh, um, a vilification, uh, you know, campaign by Big Pharma, which is ridiculous, right? And so, of course, the anti-conspiracy guy says, well, see, there you go, right? Because, you know, you can't be chewing oregano uh, to solve cancer, you know, exactly, right? But where is the person who is one? Holding people to account who, right? Oh, same as he said, well, see, you know, it's not your doctor's fault because they don't know any different. Well, there is the truth, right? So you'll talk about how, sure, there's a few examples of Big Pharma being terrible. Well, how many examples do we have of a medication not interacting with each other or Big Pharma's getting uh, pills um, approved uh, just based on, well, this one's similar, so it should be okay. And never once does anybody test the actual medication, right? Because it's a little bit different, but it's similar enough. Worse yet, never once are any of these medications tested against each other, right? But none of that's an issue. But no one's going to mention the real issue is when are we going to start treating not just the symptoms, but the actual diseases, right? The source of these problems, right? So all of this lies in the source of these problems. Like, in fact, a political um, pundit said that exactly, right? Why should the liberals or any politician act in any different way if the people are okay with how they're acting? Why should they change how they behave, right? So here we said we're blaming the politicians. We're blaming Big Pharma. We're, in fact, we'll blame um, alternative health, right? Because there are some crazies that'll tell you to drink fermented kale juice and salt. Yeah, that's nuts. But at the same time, doctors don't get... Um, they'll, they'll get like a year on pharmacology and, and all this... Um, really complicated science and they'll have to spend most of them which they won't they'll have to spend uh, hundreds of hours every year just to stay on top of the modern science which is again like I said synthetic chemicals and you know but never once are they going to spend even a fraction of that time because you'll see you can look it up the average doctor gets no more than a few weeks at most sometimes less sometimes more but arguably a month or two based on diet and nutrition, right? Like they'll learn a little bit. But the sad part is, is when they're learning about, say, nutrition, that's they're not actually learning what, what works for everyone. They're learning what, just like the pills. They're learning, and this is really a sad fact, because I know this with the particular disease that I have, because nothing really works. But I'll explain one of the worst medications, what they've gone and done. So when it comes to um, approval for a drug, say if they actually had the drug itself approved, not um, got it cross-approved because it's similar. If you got a drug approved, uh, it's a gangbuster result if 70% of your pool achieved your positive result. Now, what do I mean by that? So say, let's make it simple, right? Which probably one of the least um, wide 
category, but say a painkiller, an analgesic. Say if you go and test a new painkiller, I shouldn't say that, pain reliever. And 70% of your, your, your test cases, right? You have a couple hundred, a couple thousand people who test it. 70% of them go, mm, yeah, it helped me with my pain. And I had very little um, side effects and right, all that sort of jazz. So 70% had a positive result. That's a gangbuster result, right? So once again, what are we forgetting? We're forgetting that 30% of the population is going to be absolutely left out. Arguably, some of that 70% are going to have a tough time, but maybe they were suffering so bad that that little bit of relief of pain made it worthwhile. But again, so where's our middle way here? Where's our doctors that are being taught that if diet and nutrition can be some of the best ways to heal and benefit uh, outcomes, health especially, why aren't they pushing it? Again, you can't really blame your doctor, but they don't talk about why you can't blame your doctor. So one, as I mentioned, they didn't get a lot of schooling, right? Same as our politicians. We can't blame them for being uh, dumb because most of them, as we've seen, don't really have any proper schooling. Right? They're either a lawyer, so they only know how to argue a case. They don't know what's right or wrong, most of them. Even though, as a lawyer, they should be taught that it's the spirit of a law that matters. But yet, right? how many of these politicians right, will argue, well, you know, this is how I take it. So once again, just like every other person, right? it's all in how you justify it in your mind. So here we sit. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I apologize. Fired up, fired up today. So, <laughs> what I was getting at about the doctors, the other reason why we can't blame them, but why we need to talk about this is because of human nature. Okay, I run into it myself every day. I have a disease uh, that's auto-inflammatory based. It is incurable and it affects every part of your life. Your mood, um, pain, fatigue, it's a skin disease, but it's also, uh, it just affects everything, every part of your body, because the skin is your largest organ, but inflammatory. That's the important key. So it's tied into your emotional well-being. It's tied into your, um, your microbiota, your, um, your gut health. Again, not like the conspiracy theory. It's not like a leaky gut idea, but the idea that you're, neurotransmitters and your feel-good hormones are produced in your gut. If you feed your gut garbage, it's just going to just produce a toxic environment down there and you're not benefiting your health, which you could do. So that's the other side of it. Doctors get worn down. Just like I talked about that the Buddha, right? He uh, spent his childhood seeing no, nothing at all that was horrible. So arguably, that might have been why it shocked him so much that as a young adult... Having a family, right? We all know that when you have yourself a family and you start to care about someone other than yourself. You have a deeper empathy for all things, right? At least you're more in touch with these sorts of things. So here's, here's uh, this once destined king who has his eyes open to the suffering of, of all humanity. And what a shock that might have been. 
So he devoted his life to find an end to this suffering. And it doesn't matter if he existed. It doesn't matter if it's an individual. It's the idea that we all want to devote our every uh, being, right? Shraddha, not just faith that this is the way to go, but also wholehearted commitment, something that all of us are short on, myself included. And yet, he traveled all of India, as the story goes, for five and six years, right? He tried everything, found it all wanting, never gave up, never gave up, until he almost died from hunger and weakness, took a little sucker from uh, a young lady, and then either spent 28 days not eating anything, or as I said before, spent 28 days eating hemp grain, and that perfect balance of omega fat allowed him to achieve the necessary samadhi, the necessary concentration of mind, where he achieved an equanimity. What, what are we talking about? A peace and an understanding that, you know, this oneness of everything in the universe. And yet, even though he sat there saying, hey, that's the truth, man, right? We're the cause of our own suffering. It's our ego, man. And it's ourself that's also the way out. Man, it's so simple. It's amazing. And yet, after 28 days of working towards this realization, in the, I don't know, in the dawn light of this realization, this, this awakening, this awareness, pardon the pun, but this uh, awakening to the fact that awareness is, is really the, the way out of this for all of us. Right? So this master that's gone, gone beyond this uh, dependent uh, nature to this perfected state, right? He's gone not just beyond, right? Where he is free from the suffering of our ego and right all of the, um, the dharmas, right? of this world, right, the parasamgate. There, he's on the other shore. He's not just paragate, meaning he's away from this ego-based suffering, this uh, dependent nature that causes all of us to suffer. He's in the perfected state. So he's free from the suffering, right, parasamgate. He's residing on the other shore, away from this suffering. He is wholly confident and resides in this truth and this knowledge. Again, as I said, it's not a state um, that you acquire. It's a state that you arguably uh, learn to develop. This uh, abiding, right? Abiding doesn't mean that, hey, I've achieved it and I'm just going to sit here. You're not sitting in a throne. It's an idea of um, getting in that track, right? That perfect track where everything seems to flow. Think of a bicycle, right? Um, or an off-road vehicle. When you're, when you're on a, a cart track and you got all these wheel ruts and these bumps, you know, that's the idea of dukkha. Uh, the, the definition of, of dukkha flows from an idea of a potter's wheel being installed, um, imbalanced, Right? Kind of like the Chinese premise that if, if even one thing isn't in harmony, then everything is disharmonious. Right? 
So suffering or our dissatisfaction, it is based in our ego and our desire. But the root of this word is the idea that nothing's in balance. Right? So it's that idea that when you get in that groove, in that zone, right, that flow, right, obstructions don't disappear. You just find yourself at one with right the nature of things so same as your bicycle you get on the right track and things just flow better i mean it's not like you're floating i mean you're still you're still pedaling on that same ground and a cart track when you're you're off-roading you know it's not like you get away from the bumps and the ruts it's just you get in the groove and you just you're at one with the flow of it same as a boating or sailing right i mean you're never um, separate from the elements of the wind and the water, right? You're always fighting these, these elements. It's not a, a matter of what we tend to see it as overcoming the elements of nature, of physics. No, it's the idea of working within, right? It's not the idea that we sometimes misinterpret sometimes misinterpret the Tao of submission. Submission completely to whatever might come. It isn't. It's that sama path that we discussed. So what am I getting at here? It's that same idea that no one's really putting in the correct action and effort. So you want to call out big pharma, we'll call them out for what they are, but at the same time you have to call out you know, the healthcare industry because is anyone really dealing with the problem that's at hand. I mean, think of the number of Canadians, of Americans, of global citizens dying at the hands of opiates alone, right? And yet, right, they're, uh, they're um, censoring discussion on altering topics. So, like, that is truly a malevolent behavior of alternative medicine. Like, now that, as I've said, cannabis has shown itself to be a wonderful benefit. In fact, there is tons of medicine from cannabis that can be non-psychoactive, yet they still um, they still try to uh, limit its access because I personally know firsthand of an example in Ireland where um, they have this ultra-low THC strain of CBD uh, hemp. So no THC, arguably, at all. Over here in Canada, not to bust anyone for this, but uh, even our hemp seeds have a higher uh, possible residual. Our hemp oil, hemp seed oil, has a higher possible residual THC than these plants from Poland that are grown and sold, as I said, in this case in Ireland. Now the Garda, which is the police force of Ireland, actually busted shops for selling this 100% harmless um, plant. Yet... Right? They encourage how many businesses based solely on sugar, refined sugar, refined from what? Beets and Lord knows what, right? Who, who would think you get your sugar from beets? But when you look at the science that the same areas of the brain lights up when we eat sugar, when you look at the history that uh, the sugar industry has tried to make fat the culprit, when the body itself is designed to burn carbohydrates, or fat, depending on our need. I mean, who's the real culprit here? Is it 
you know, these businesses who have a an interest in earning a profit or is it the people who support these businesses who are obviously looking out for themselves and arguably lying when they misrepresent facts and scientific data or is it the doctors that don't bother to put in the effort required to learn these sorts of things or is it the people who refer refuse to listen to their doctors when they tell them to eat better right live live proper so who's really at fault here? Is it the politicians, right, who are self-serving and, right? But keep in mind those politicians, I mean, really, if you were in that position, could you make anybody happy, right? You're going to have to make everybody unhappy. Arguably some of our greatest politicians in history um, didn't care about their popularity. They had a plan for the future, right? Where are these people, who have a plan, right? As I said, the true secret to all of this is, are you critical, self-critical, right? Are you a flake or are you convinced you're not a flake? As I remember one of my English teachers, I can't remember who he attributed it to, but the difference between sane and insane is a sane person questions their own sanity Sometimes, often, especially during Rona. But your insane person never questions their sanity. So what's the difference between someone who's trying and someone who's failing? You have your flakes who are absolutely convinced they're not a flake. You have your people who are not a flake, arguably because they're just always making sure they're not coming off as a flake and doing their best. Same as mindfulness. The only difference between someone who's succeeding and someone who's failing is you're trying, right? Are you aware? As we've said over and over again, it's that simple act of bringing your awareness to whether or not you're aware, which that's the power, right? Parasamgate, right? Step yourself away from that dependent uh, reality, right? just by realizing it. That's why there's an extra state. Why is there only three states? You're imaginary, you're dependent, and you're perfect. And yet there's gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhi, swaha. So you got gone, gone, gone beyond, gone to the other shore, I should say. Right? Gone permanently, right? To the perfect shore. Right? Arguably, another shore. Right? Or the Sam meaning you don't have to work at it as hard because you're now abiding. Abiding or residing in that perfect state separate from the dependence. You're gone. You're gone from this state where you indulge the imaginary nature, right? Where the Buddha was sure that people wouldn't even listen. That the simple solution to our sucker, our our suffering the dukkha, simple way to fix that potter's wheel is to understand the root of your suffering, is to realize nothing is as it, we perceive it. That's what dependent nature is, right? It's not this, not that, it's not this or that, and it's both, right? Because you can't c- categorize anything. There is like yin or yang. It's not black, it's not white, it's not neither, it's both. It's an ever-flowing 
change, right? Like the Hindu, like the Yijing, right? When Yang reaches its fullness, it alternates to Yin, right? right? The golden mean is not insufficiency and not excess. Same as the Buddha, right? He'd learned this from six years of traveling India. What did he learn? He learned that it's not too little and it's not too much. It's not aestheticism, right? It's not what he learned as a child, arguably hedonism, but just the richest man arguably has ever been. He learned suffering is the truth, right? Not that you can hide, right? This aversion or attachment, right? Or sitting oneself on a cushion, thinking that you can step away from the, the realities, the suffering of life. No, 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 no. What are we talking about here? The difference is, is there's three kinds of people, same as the three kinds of natures, right? Okay? There's your, your illusory nature, your people who live in imaginary life. They look at that potter's wheel and they see, eh, it's fine, even though it's unbalanced. They look at that politician and they, they hear their platitudes about, well, this is why we don't do this, and they never call them on their BS. Same as their doctor. They never go, well, you know, how much do you know about diet, right? How much do you know about this pill? Or are you just getting a bonus? Or are you just having a bad day because the previous patients you had, you know, gave you a hard time and you're just phoning it in now, right? Or are you just tired of my BS telling you that, no, doctor, I can't stop drinking my 12-pack of beer, dairy? What are you talking about? I can't give up my cheese, pasta, never have to eat my pasta. So who do we blame? Us. Always us. Right? Because who's really at fault here? Instead of you thinking about the reality of the complete situation and realizing you don't even see it, you're residing, attaching to this illusionary, illusory state, right? So the next step, the next state, these three different people, you have your dependent nature people, right? Your state of dependent nature. You're residing in this truth, this understanding that you're not alone in this, but you're also the source of this crap. Um, you got to work at it, right? It's a battle. You got to stay in this sort of, you know, but... Do you have that complete and total shroud? No, none of us do. Right? Again, it's this balance. It's not yes or no, black and white. Right? So these three states, you're in the dependent nature and you go from illusory to as close as you can get to the perfected state. You don't judge yourself for not being perfect. Right? Because as I said, the goal is to reside, to abide in this self-examination state, right? To use those two selves, right? The nature of self is to scuttle, right? To booby trap all of your efforts, but at the same time, it is your tool to achieve this balance. What kind of a balance? To set that potter's reel right, right? So, what is that third state? That third state is when we get it all together. It's not perfect, right? But when you balance those right actions, the sama actions, efforts, right thought, right intention, when you have all of that balance, when you start to think, well, 
No one person or one thing is to blame for anything, right? So our politicians, they are the way they are because we continue to vote for them. We don't ask for anything different, right? Big Pharma is the way it is is because we continue to support them and the insurance industry, right? I mean, arguably, this mindfulness uh, industry, the movement that we all see is the way it is because we support these phonies, right? These, these, uh, these salesmen who have no real story, they just saw an opportunity to cash in. Not unlike the pandemic, right? These guys see there's a number of us patients who have gotten tired of being poked and prodded. We're tired of the propaganda. We see the potential in plants. And these problematic, these problematic people present a protocol that many people buy into. So who's to blame here? We can blame them all and we must blame them all. But really, who's the only one that needs to be blamed? We can blame the disease, as many of us do. Oh, my God. You can blame yourself. Oh, my God. You can blame God. Oh, how dare ye? You can blame uh, Big Pharma for only providing the synthetic solutions, but that's all they provide. Right? You can blame the alternative therapies for charging too much or right, not putting in all of the active ingredients. Right? You can blame the people that support these conspiracy theorists and propagate it, right? But all you need to do is blame yourself, right? You just need to remember that, I mean, I'm guilty of it, you're guilty of it, we're all guilty of it. I mean, name each and every one of these examples, they all boil down to us, right? So the politicians screwing it up, well, you don't vote for them. There's no one to vote for, well then... Find uh, an independent, right? Go out, campaign. If you can't do any of that, well then just suck it up, buttercup, move on. Deal with what you can, right? So, big pharma is abusing the actual patients, right? Not providing the healing and the, and the benefit needed. Well, why don't you provide it? Right? If you have a solution, then share it. Right? And in my case, you do your best... And it's unwanted, same as the Buddha, right? 30 days, he sat under that Bodhi, uh, Bodhi tree. And uh, it's not really a Bodhi tree, it's a different kind of tree, but anyways, we call it uh, a Bodhi tree. He sat under that tree for near a month. And after, with perfect vision and understanding and awareness, right? This man was past the other shore, not only residing on the other shore, he was in, cruising in the deep prana paramita. That's that bodhi, right? That perfect um, vision, understanding, awareness. Awareness. He's free from our suffering. But again, we worship this gentleman, not the person, but the fact that he selflessly chose to stay and teach for near 50 years, longer than he lived. He stayed, taught. All this in spite of this perfect wisdom, it's 30 days of strife and effort, he still didn't think we were capable of receiving this simple message. Right? It took Brahma, as the story goes, it took Brahma 
to, to implore him to teach and share this message because we needed it. And fast forward to today, when we're in what is arguably the Dharma ending age, right? When people are incapable of hearing such a simple, yet arguably complicated solution, right? Right, we're being selfless is a commodity, <laughs> but not, not uh, a virtue, right? Uh, you understand what I mean by that? You can sell mindful printed books, right? Purposeful driven uh, podcasts. But the minute you want to, you know, carry that selflessness into the world, you're a weirdo. Am I right? Right? When you're looking for a solution to our oil and our environment, right? And you want a politician that represents your values. You don't want one who says he's a, he's a feminist, but he counts the sex of his cabinet. You don't want someone who says they represent you, but they buy a multi-billion dollar pipeline and say they're environmental but shut down the oil sands which was jobs for for Canadians and fueled the economy of a province which then fueled the economy of an entire country because of this propaganda right here we have Ontario who's actually uh, put in place a conservative government fueled by this same we need to change to be competitive yet they pushed through uh, some bills that were so overreaching just way too much that even a member of their own cabinet resigned over it are our media talking about it no as I said no one's talking about these journalists that are asking about well what, we, what kind of help are we going to get but not a single one of them will ask about the millions millions of Canadians that are going to be without an income in two weeks less, right? Where are the Canadians who are calling for a change, right? I mean, it's the same here. We have a lot of Canadians obsessed with American politics. It's the problem, the problem is the same, right? How dare you say that, oh my God, isn't America terrible? And yet we have our own Prime Minister, who shut down Parliament to protect himself and his crooked government. But down in America, right, I, I'm, 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 I'm told you I'm a middle-of-the-way sort of guy, so I see it both sides. Yeah, Trump hated him. He's ridiculous. He's a joke in every way. But how is he any different from any other politician? Arguably, up here, they're making fun of, of how he handled... Um, handled uh, corona, it only takes moments to break down these numbers for what they really are. So first, RCBC will talk about how Chinese numbers, oh, you know, it's only X amount, right? So 80,000 people got it. Really? That's it? Come on, right? There's no way they had less than here in Canada, but that's fine. Took them months, months to admit that maybe their numbers were off. Okay, so let's do these numbers here. We'll say how bad it is in America, but in America, they have things in place to make sure that the government can't hide truths and facts from us. The opposite of Canada.
Yeah, so um, politics in America is not a lot different. Here we have the Democrats talking about how terrible the, uh, Trump is and the Republicans are, never once mentioning their own abhorrent behavior. And the other side's just as guilty. The Republicans say how abhorrent the Democrats are and forget to mention how horrible they are. Where is the middle of the way? which I'm sure the majority of the population is. Where are the people who say, you know what? The truth lies somewhere in between, right? Where are the people that are standing up for the truth, the middle way, right? Here we have people on either side telling blatant falsehoods, if you were to look at it as compared to the actual truth. But never once do we have people holding them to account. Right, like a prime minister in blackface, or a, a president that constantly lies. You can't expect them to change if you don't mandate it. Right, same as right equality of the sexes or race or creed or culture. It's never going to happen if we continue to encourage this sort of behavior, wherever it may lie. Right? I mean, I have another example. It's probably not the best. Uh, when I was young, uh, very young, preteen, went to school with a gentleman who was, uh, was homosexual. I know this because later, right? We went to school for, you know, darn near 20 years. But early on, we were, I don't know, preteen, you know. 10, 11, 12 at the latest, likely younger. Always made fun of because he was effeminate. And of course, as we got older, kids understood what homosexual and gay was. So of course, they started to make fun in a very mean way. I remember playing floor hockey once in the gymnasium. It's funny, wintertime in Canada. Um, you can't play hockey outside uh, without risking frostbite for these young kids. So yeah, floor hockey inside. And they're making fun of him. He was in goal. I remember this quite vividly. He was in goal. They were making fun of him all, you know. Um, right? It went from just, you know, trash talk to really being quite mean. So I stood up, and it's no more of this. Stood up for him and for what was right. Right? I mean, I don't care about this gentleman in this case. Because if he's not going to stand up for himself, I was personally offended with all the hate and the vitriol that I had to put up with and witness. Right? But discussing it with uh, this young lad, remember his name, I believe it was Ian. I just told him, like, stop, just don't put up with it, right? Because I was sick of it. And he's like, ah, oh, wishy-washy. I just told him, if you're gay, own it. Tell him to get lost. If you're not gay, tell him to shut up. Don't put up with it either way. This is the same thing. If you're completely against sexism, why do you endorse someone who counts how many women versus men are in the room rather than solving the underlying problem of misogyny and feminism that never looks at we have to be blind to this before we see true equality? Same as politicians. What are you doing complaining about your politician and yet you're going to give them your vote, Right? Or you're going to give your vote to some other guy who's just as bad, just in a different way, right? 
Same can be said of you complaining about this guy or that guy and how much suffering they're causing you. But are you making sure that your choices, your actions, your thoughts are correct in the first place? Right? It's not walking a straighter path changes the world around you. Your perception and perspective changes, thereby everything is adjusted, just like the three states, right? When you live in the imaginary state, you don't allow yourself to even understand that you got it wrong. When you live in the dependent state, you understand you got it wrong, but you may not see it for what it is. You just continue to strive towards that perfected state where you understand how all these things are. How do you achieve that? How do you get to the other shore? How do you paddle that boat to get to Parasamgate, right? To get to the other shore and reside there, abide in that um, awareness. How do you achieve that moksha, that enlightenment, that abiding samadhi, that enlightenment, the bodhi? It's that ceaseless, constant, constant effort, right? Am I aware? Am I being a flake? Am I holding my representative to account? Am I um, being an environmental list, right? I mean, I never thought of it myself. I mean, the environmentals, that's another... I use the, the pipeline as example. I mean, if you're against pipelines, it's going to be trucks and trains with full of oil. So are you against oil or are you against pipelines, right? Cause you, but then you go and buy a pipeline and you hamstring the oil sands. I don't understand it, right? So the same can be said for this. So as I said, how do we paddle to the shore so that we don't just... We're subject to the, uh, the current, right, subject to the wills of our ego or um, we're just blaming external things for our suffering. So what do we use to paddle to the shore? I mean, it's not a power that's uh, attained, right? It's not an extraordinary power. We've talked about this. So long story short, you paddle to the other shore by simply working hard, right? Am I being aware? Am I holding him to account? Am I present? Am I doing it right? Right? So again, it's not sitting in a corner somewhere. Right? Right? It's not just blindly accepting what may come. Right? It's not submission to what now, ever. It's submitting to this prescription that we're the source of our suffering and the source of our liberation. It's having absolute unwavering faith and the commitment required uh, to put it uh, into practice. That's that satipatthana or the patipati. So not just studying what's the right way to think and feel and be, but also putting it into practice, right? Always, 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 right? It's... um, Soon as your paddle comes out of the water, you should be striving to get it wet again. Right? Soon as you become aware that you had uh, 
allowed your mindfulness to become a second nature. That's your moment to become aware that you may be slipping uh, back into the illusory state, right? That second state, the dependent uh, nature, uh, the awareness that uh, all things uh, are interdependent, that state is the most difficult. Because if you do achieve the perfected state, you're parasamgate. You're all the way on the other shore. You've let the the boat go because you don't need it anymore. That's the Dharma, the teachings. And you residing wholly, completely on the other shore. Now, you can risk that attainment. We say attainment, but it's not really an attainment. But you can risk that. uh, But the idea is through bodhi or enlightenment or right uh, perfected thinking, you can, you can just reside in that, untouched by what we suffer from. But for most of us, it's that middle state, the dependent state. We can become aware that we're subject to all these delusions and we're subject to our ego and our desires and we don't see things firsthand and we don't understand things the way they really are. and We have a tough time perceiving reality for what it really is. We can understand all this, but for us to reside in this is not to reside free from its influence. It's to reside in that understanding that that's from whence it flows. What I mean by that is the peace is not understanding that we are subject to all this dissatisfaction, subject to our ego, subject to this dependent arising, uh, subject to the suffering sourced in you or otherwise, knowing it doesn't really solve a whole lot, but knowing the truth of it and how to limit its influence, that's the real um, benefit. And then the faith. We talked about Shraddha. So believing this, just as the Buddha said, I mean, how can I convince these people to understand that their source of suffering and liberation are the same thing. It's this artificial, arbitrary um, thing they call self. At the time, the Buddha would also be battling um, a Vedic tradition that spoke of a universal uh, soul, an Atman, right? So it was asking them to uh, get rid of all of their latent impressions from generations of, of um, tradition, So, even he didn't see it possible. It took a god, as the story goes, uh, to convince him to teach this simple, simple fact. But it's not, oh, geez, you're right, bruv. Like I talked about, one of the very first um, recipients of Buddhist teaching was not the five medicant monks, 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 (laughs) medicant monks that followed him around India. His two teachers had passed. It wasn't either one of them, uh, obviously. Certainly wasn't the five um, because he wasn't sure, right? Because they'd built up all these latent impressions because as the story goes, when they saw him coming, they were ready to make fun of him because he'd gone back to eating and they thought he had made such a horrible mistake. But what convinced them wasn't his words, It was his peace, right? 
It was the fact that they saw that this gentleman wasn't just gone. It wasn't just gone, gone, gate, gate, right? Like they wanted to be, right? Gone from the world, gone from the uh, oppression of consumer consumption economy and needing anything. They had forgone everything, even food. So he wasn't just gone, gone. He was gone to the other shore. He was gone comfortably away from all this. But why were they so surprised, convinced even just by looking at his face? Because they could see something that they had never seen. These gentlemen had been touring the entire continent of India for years. And never had they seen in the face of a gentleman this absolute peace, this absolute awareness and understanding of everything. There was no confusion, there was no delusion, there was no suffering, no sadness. And even this bliss that they tend to talk about, it's nothing that we have experienced. Because as I've said before, in all happiness, uh, we see tainted with, um, with suffering, right? Like I said, yin and yang is black and white flowing to each other with a heart of the opposite, right? So it was this, this understanding that he'd achieved that no one before him had that his five medicant monks had learned. But really, for me, the lesson was the first, the first person that he encountered, someone who didn't know who he was. This gentleman, interestingly, was one of these aesthetic uh, Indian monks that wandered, uh, a sadhu that wandered naked. He had renounced everything, including the robes and the alms bowl, and he just wandered naked, looking for answers. These sorts of sadhus still exist today. Why I think it's important is because the Buddha shared with him this teaching, right? The Four Noble Truths and that we were the source of our own suffering and our liberation. And this gentleman didn't um, just blindly accept. Again, as the Buddha taught us, you must use logic, common sense, and, and you know, this, this mind that we're, we're given to uh, discern the difference between right and wrong and what's good for us and others. Again, no end to sentient beings, so there's no end to uh, entries to the Dharma of Nirvana. So uh, this gentleman was introduced, as I said uh, the five aesthetic monks were. But unlike the aesthetic monks, he didn't blindly accept and just, you know, bow down to the Buddha and worship uh, him as, again, this great... Uh, thinker, right? Some people will say that those five aesthetics, again, were further on this uh, path, this enlightened path, so they were more able to understand. I would posit that the first gentleman introduced to this um, understanding, this prescription, actually um, was a little more balanced approach in both his reception and even his application. So it's satipati. Right? Not to believe everything you read and apply it if it works. Right? So this gentleman said, hmm, so four noble truths, you say. Uh, the Eightfold Path, I got you, I got you. Three marks of existence, yes. So the truth of this is this mindfulness that we need to uh, implement as a uh, constant, ceaseless practice. I got you, I got you. Let me give it a go, bruv. 
Okay. Well, that, I think, is what we should all be doing, right? You need to have faith in this, right? So this gentleman, obviously, again, was possibly even further along the path uh, than uh, the gentleman uh, that toured with Buddha for his five or six years. This new um, student might have been further along in the path, right? Or maybe his karma was such that he was more able to receive this message, neither here nor there. But I digress. The teaching is we need to use logic and common sense for everything, even Buddhism, right? Which is commonly considered a middle-away approach and it's balanced. No, just like big pharma, just like alternative medicine, just like politics, you can find an example of the worst and the best. It's the middle that we need to prop up, right? It's the middle that we need to encourage, right? So same as Buddhism, right? We don't want to encourage, say, a sect of Zen that believes the solution is found wholly in a koan, a riddle that's not meant to have an answer, or an entire sect that believes the solution is found in one and only one mantra. And if you don't achieve the wealth and the success you desire... I'm not kidding you here, then you're just not chanting it right or enough. Right? Or people who will follow blindlessly, blind, blindly, <laughs> blindlessly, that's a funny little. But you'll find people who will follow by, blindly. Um, someone who despised their own culture so much that they went off and embraced an alien culture so holy that they've awakened so much to the not-self that they have adopted another language, another culture, another name, right? How often do we see, I saw a follower of uh, the Thai forest tradition monk who you'll find just as many people say that he had lost it as was he was just this gifted teacher. But you'll find this, this person who is not at all Thai, not at all Vietnamese, um, but has foregone their Western name for an Eastern name. And none of us see just this this uh, replacement of the ego, not a reduction, right? So, no, you're not the ego, you know, Sally from, you know, Wisconsin, you know, whose parents were, you know, uh, illegal aid lawyers and meh, 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 right? Now you're this white lady who used to be from Wisconsin and now you're Ding Dong Dicto, whatever the name, right? And I'm making fun because it could be Thai, it could be Vietnamese, it could be Chinese, right? It could be Tibetan, could be Indian. Why there is this obsession with taking these names? It's just like I saw... A gentleman suggested that we would get so much from visiting Dharamsala. I mean, when I was young, at 18 years old, I thought that would be a wonderful thing, such a such a benefit for me spiritually um, to go across uh, the world to Dharamsala and have a visit with the, the Dalai Lama. Again, it's all perception because... As I said to the wife, I could have easily have said that no, that's ridiculous. The teaching says that all of this um, 
is found within yourself. And to go cross-country or even cross the world uh, to worship one uh, individual or um, to say that one place on earth is better than another uh, for you to understand these truths is, is absolutely ridiculous. Because right? at the same time, I could have said, well, yeah, I was right because in the matter of a few years, the Dalai Lama came to me and, and chose to teach me directly. Right? So, no. Right? Because of health reasons, I wasn't able to go to the Indian subcontinent. Right? Uh, did I let that bother me? Sure. Sure, but what did I do? It was that Sati Pati. That's the teachings, right? One, you have to read the Dharma. The Dharma tells you that, no, this, this liberation is not found halfway across the world in, in Dharamsala, the exile of, of the, the, the Tibetan government. I mean, that's just people. That's just a place, right? That liberation's not to be found there. It's not to be found anywhere external. So the other side of the pati is... I've read the Dharma. It's taught me that. Well, now let's put it into practice, right? I mean, I did that once for a lady that came into the temple. She was from the Indian subcontinent. And she seemed very uh, learned because she was discussing with a colleague uh, about her need uh, to place something in her house, right? Kind of like an Ayurvedic medicine-based or a chi-based. or You know, she was looking for some sort of special power. As I've said before, um, translations of mantras and sutras were often supported because of their um, believed power for either military or um, governing type um, conquest or achievement. Right? So this lady wants, what can I put in my house to improve the energy of the house? There's nothing, nothing at all. It took me a couple um, times before I could convince her of of how wrong she was. Just simply, there's nothing you can put in your house that's going to change the energy of your house. Why? Because the energy of the house is wholly created by the individuals in the house. And the perception of that same energy is wholly reliant on the individuals. Right? So as they say, it seems stupid. You change the universe by changing yourself. Right? And how you do that? That's exactly what the Gita taught us, right? Jnana yoga will only take you so far. Knowing what's right for healthcare, for um, medication or medical science, for politics, uh, for society, uh, ethics, the environment, Buddhism, mindfulness, uh, you name the topic. You need right thought right action, right intention, and right effort. So if all you're going to do is complain about what this politician's doing wrong, but you're not holding him to account, and you're ignoring what your preferred politician uh, is doing that's arguably just as uh, malevolent, then who is really to blame? That's what the teaching is trying to get across. Stop blaming everything on everyone else. I'm 100% just as guilty of this. It's all in how you balance, right? Again, it's not blind acceptance, but it's also not... Um, it's also not um, like 
missing the truth of any situation, right? As I said, there is no two situations that are identical, but when you start choosing for another, it's really just your ego screaming, right? Uh, I digress. I don't know how to finish this one, but my point is the middle way lies not just in... Um, the balanced approach, but it's also the implementation of that balanced approach. Do you understand what I mean? The idea is not just realizing that there's three states of being. There's the illusionary state where you just accept, hey, politics are messed up. This is the way it's going to be. You got to choose the best of, of, of the worst. That's your illusionary state. Your dependent state is where you realize. You realize that the reason why we are subject to all of this mess that there isn't health in our healthcare, that big pharma is really just masking the symptoms and not helping us treat our diseases, that politics is become this horrible Godzilla of a monster. And yet, we never once blame the true culprits, ourselves, right? We're the ones that vote them, right? We're the ones that don't uh, look for the, the difficult uh, solutions, right? Every day, there's people that are taking pills rather than doing better, right? And I'll use me as an example. The disease I have is called hydrodenitis separativa, arguably considered one of the worst uh, skin diseases because not only does it affect the entire um, skin, <laughs> the largest organ, uh, but it also affects the mood, and uh, fatigue and pain. I mean, it's arguably like fibromyalgia as well. So you have transient joint pain and maybe even has muscle pain. It really is quite horrible, right? But what do we have to look here for? We have come in the years that I've had and I've been treating it, come to realize that it could be as, could be for a lot of people as simple as changing their diet. What are we talking about? We're not talking about people going vegan or living on nothing. We're talking about people giving up dairy, right? We're talking about people giving up chocolate if you're allergic to it, or sugar, refined sugar, right? I mean, honey in moderation would be fine, but this is asking too much. So the most common two long-term treatment, or say three. I'll give three major long-term treatment options because somebody shared a meme about one of them and I'll mention it. I'll start with that one. One of the most common long-term treatments has totally been confused, just like the doctors. We can't blame them because they didn't get enough training. We also can't blame them because we're guilty of not doing what we need to do. They tell us, you need to eat better. We don't. So they just stop telling us. So choice one for an inflammatory-based condition is to prescribe antibiotics. Why? Not because of the infection. Yes, we are subject to infections, but um, and the antibiotics act as an anti-inflammatory. So that reduces the swelling, reduces the swelling, reduces issues with um, the, the, the sebocytes, which get inflamed, and then the inflammation causes more trouble. It's just, it's, you know, it's like a snowball effect, right? And the reverse snowball effect in this is doctors get arguably lazy, and they'll give an HS patient, six months of a prescription. The HS patient looking for relief will take those antibiotics for six months and what do we have? Now we have someone who is resistant to those antibiotics. We have someone 
who is just as sick, arguably maybe even sicker than before because they may have contracted another infection like MRSA, for example. Hmm? And all this whole time, nobody's eating better because it could be as simple as not eating dairy and some people it's just not eating yeast. Right? But all this whole time, they're also giving a prescription for two uh, antibiotics, uh, clindamycin and rifampin. Rifampin, par pardon my pronunciations on these, but um, if you were to read the studies, and this is all it takes, if you're a doctor and you have a patient that has HS, you just go and sit at the computer and look up HS and you read some of the new science. Some of the new science will tell them, take some zinc, zinc uh, gluconate, 100 milligrams a day showing significant improvements, eat no dairy uh, and yeast, uh, and then maybe look at nightshades, refined sugar, low-carb diet, that sort of stuff. But that's beneficial for everybody. That's just diet. That's just best practices. This can all be found by just looking this up. It can also be found that this combo that's still being used for HS, this uh, clindamycin and rifampin, works no better than clindamycin alone. Why is this important? Because rifampin comes with incredible side effects. This relates to what I said. So we have 70% of people this approved drug might work for, 30% of people it didn't work for at all or just, you know, sometimes the uh, side effects were so horrible it didn't, but most of the time it's just simply effectiveness. So in that 70%, there may be a number of people who uh, suffered significantly because of side effects, right? So again, as I said, the example for HS is they'll do surgery, okay? So a skin disease, Cutting off the skin, I mean, this is kind of like this reverse idea that to solve sexism, let's be reverse sexist. So here, for a skin disease, let's start cutting off the skin. Well, without treating the disease, the underlying condition, your end result would be what? You have removed all the skin on the patient, but you haven't cured the disease. And the third treatment, it's almost arguably just as ridiculous or worse. We have biologic medicines like Humira or I can't remember all of them. There's a bunch of them. Um, they're really, they were a failure. But they found some things that could get affected, uh, that it was effective for, and they've cross-approved it. Why do I know this? Because they did that with HS. They never tested it on HS. There's not enough of us with this disease. right? So they found it shut down one of these inflammatory markers. So they said, oh, well, it should work for all inflammatory disease. And so who do we blame here? The, the person that said this BS, this person who never researched it, or the person that approved it, or the people who continued to endorse this, or the doctors who don't think about this before they prescribe it to the patients, or the patients themselves that don't look at this fact, or the patients themselves that don't just eat better because they might not even need those biological medicines. By the way, biologics that are screwing with our genes and as a side effect might even cause cancer. But no, 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 no problem. Now we want to take this to treat this incurable inflammatory-based disease. Now here is the tragedy, folks. This is what we're all dealing with. We want to complain up here in Canada about how terrible American politics is, ignoring how terrible our politics are. Right? In America, they want to complain how terrible Trump is or how terrible the Democrats are. And neither one of them are admitting that the whole thing needs to be fixed. Just like I said, the guy that was calling out how t terrible um, someone who calls out Big Pharma is but doesn't talk about how ridiculous it would be to just defund, right? Same as police. You're right. There are horrible police. There are horrible um, 
uh, possible systematic problems with how they train them. But here this gentleman says, well, we're not going to defund the police. Um, yeah. Thanks for minimizing what we're looking for. Right? What we're looking for is if we know there's systematic problems, then why aren't we fixing them? If we know that we can point to some horrible abuses of power and privilege, why are we not holding them to account? That's the real problem here. Right? So here we are, a couple years in, since they got approval for, uh, for uh, these biological meds to be used on uh, HS patients. So now I see HS patients are actually full circle now. See, I've been calling it all along, and here's the science. You can check it yourself. Uh, biologic medicines, they've, they've tested both. In fact, uh, one of the most famous HS patients in Canada, uh, HS uh, doctors in Canada, is a shill for the competitor to Humira. So they went and got together some patients. And how did they convince them? Because this medicine's $40,000 a month. So they said, hey, we'll give you this medication for free and it'll work. Lying to them. Didn't tell them that the studies show the effectiveness for HS at year one for these biological meds are about 20%. About 20%? 20%. That means 80% felt that it, the side effects were too much or it just didn't work. So only 20% of people taking this medication at year one. Every doctor has been trained in this fact. Placebo. That's the human effect where we can convince ourselves that something will work and it'll work. We can take a sugar pill and if we believe, shraddha, complete and utter faith and commitment, if we believe with complete and total faith, that it'll actually work. It'll work more effectively than a product our taxpayers are paying $40,000 a month for. That works less effectively than a sugar pill. We should just be giving them a sugar pill and telling them it's a genetic medication. Right? But never once do we ask them to eat right. Because I'll give you an example. Do you know for years, I still even heard it not too long ago, they were making fun of New York State because they wanted to outlaw these 20 or 20 or 30 or 40 ounce soft drinks. Really, with the science showing this, that this sugar is killing us, and we are unable, because of our genetics, to fight this addiction to sugar. We're built, and they've designed these medications to take advantage of our genetics. Right? With Canadians and Americans dying every day from these opiates, right? these opiates that were supposedly designed to be less addictive and were 100% more addictive, and we're not, calling, we're not holding any of them to account. Right? When was the last time you heard them talk about all those doctors and those um, uh, pharma companies that were knowingly lying to doctors? We're not talking about it anymore. Right? But who's at fault here? Right? Who's at fault? Who do we hold account? Is it, is it the media that won't talk about it? Is it the politicians that are, you know, willing to do it? Or is it us that allow them to get away with it? I don't know. I guess I'll leave that up to you. Ah, this is perfect. I'm just going to offend everybody in one segment here. We have uh, the morning ceremony. It's pure land, right? Which is terrible, but we're used to it. It's, uh, it's a compassion mantra, so, you know, 
It's what we like. But just to offend people further, I was just watching this YouTube channel. I believe it's called Buddhist Insights. And they had this um, uh, Bikushini, this nun. I'm not sure of her accent. But again, he's taking these foreign names and all this jazz. And she literally spent the whole morning talking about how Buddhism is so horrible uh, in their perspective of women. She's in the Pali tradition, yet she highlighted the Tibetans. The word for women is also a synonym for inferior. (sighs) Until she learns to speak Tibetan, maybe she should keep those insights to herself. But then she goes on and says that, you know, supposedly she doesn't quote where in the suttas. That, uh, you know, it's harder for a woman to achieve enlightenment, all this stuff. Well, sadly, here's the truth of it. Put in one comment and mentioned uh, that male and female is a delusion here on samsara, right? These, These issues are human, not Buddhist. And then she mentions race as well, right? Which is ridiculous. I mean, if you're a nun, how do you not understand that the Buddha taught outside the caste system, taught to male and female, and if he lived anywhere other than to uh, India, he would have taught to anybody. But race, and I mentioned this, race is another delusion here rooted in samsara. And would you believe they erased my messages? My comments? Right? Because it didn't jive with their uh, narrative here. So, but... I saw the other morning, too, they went on and they were going to talk about the the ten fetters. And the first 15 minutes, what did they do? A rite, ritual, and ceremony. They chanted for near 15 minutes. And then to talk about the fetters. One of the ten fetters is to not uh, get obsessed with rites, rituals, and observances. And one of the three fetters is not to be distracted by rites, rituals, and observances. Yet, once again, here we see these representatives showing why should we listen to these people who are telling us these one things, exactly like the reason why I say I'm going to insult everyone with the Chinese, because, I mean, the Pure Land will preach, um, you know, compassion and equanimity and all this jazz, yet... Gays are horrible, or the Falun Gong, the Falun Dafa. I mean, they're horrible. I mean, they have they have uh, their own weirdness, uh, but their problems are shared with the Pure Land. That they're against homosexuality, or I mean, and the Chinese themselves are incredibly racist, right? But are we going to blame that on Buddhism? No. Just like everything else I've spoke to here. Where is the problem lie? Just like that nun who's trying to say that the sutta, oh my God, Buddhism is so terrible because it says this, and Tibetan is such a horrible language and a horrible people because, you know, the word for woman is synonym with inferior. If she understood anything other than I think it's probably German and English, if she understood Chinese, uh, she wouldn't even need to understand Tibetan. But if she did understand things like Sanskrit... Pali, you think she'd speak Pali, being a Theravadan monk, nun, but neither here nor there. If she spoke a language other than English, maybe she'd understand that, you know, there could be ten dozen synonyms for the word that means woman, right? Could be, think of yin and yang. It means male, 
female, black, white, good, evil. I mean, come on. Are we going to get all obsessed about that and say that uh, the Chinese culture is incredibly... Uh, they are. They, they are. They definitely feel women are inferior. But are we going to change the whole yin and yang? It's just an idea of opposites. It's not saying that women are evil and they're dark and all that. Stop. That's your own attachment. Same as this nun who's on and on about how horrible Buddhism is and how they're saying how much diff, more difficult. To, and she literally believed it. She swallowed the Kool-Aid and she says, well, as a woman, you know, you're, you're born and it's harder with your karma. Come on. Stop. You're smoking the wrong grass when you're out there or you're at least eating the wrong grass when you're out there in that Thai forest tradition, Right? Because that's not what you're supposed to see. When you look at this, as I said, the Buddha taught outside the caste system, taught to male and female. So if there were other than Indians in India at the time, I'm sure he would have taught to them too, right? Caste system, male, female, uh, hierarchies, even in the teachings, right? Something outside of merit-based. It doesn't exist, right? Race. Uh, is a delusion here. Just as she said, well, you know, you don't see Buddhists that are, you don't see Buddhists that are black because race is a samsaric delusion. When you transcend, and this is, this is what they took away because it was perfect. What I said was race is the same as the sex, right? It is an illusory state delusion, right? If you see black and white and him and her, that's all your delusion if you live in it dependent reality, you now see that this is just your own delusion. You still see black and white and male and female, but you don't see these differences as real. You see them simply as arbitrary labels, right? Because these differences do not exist in the third state, the perfected state. Again, as I said, this is what we're trying to achieve, but we're not all there, obviously, uh, even within the dependent. And I also mentioned the dependent um, reality is where most of us spend our time and we transition. Some people can be incredibly uh, deluded in the illusory state, but arguably, if you're in the illusory state, you're just completely deluded. In the dependent reality, you can be kind of on a scale, right? You're first getting into this. You can be told, you can be told that everything is dependent, uh, your perceptions, jade reality, reality is not what you perceive. You can be told all this stuff. You can even understand it. But to put it into practice, that pati pati becomes difficult. You can try to perceive where you're misperceiving using that discernment, but it's still very difficult. That can transition to the point where you actually can see the dependent reality of things. But as I said, even if you proceed to the very brink of uh, the next state, the perfected nature, right? you're still going to see race and sex. So what is our job here? To not do what this nun did. Not attach to these references in the sutta. Looking at this one versus that one. I mean, I'm sure there's just as many and I ain't going to bother because I don't want to have this attachment and aversion that they obviously have. But you can probably find just as many references that uh, sex and culture and creed and all this other stuff is a human-based delusion. 
But no, let's let's fixate on a couple references saying it's harder as a woman. You know, I mean, or we could fixate on something that, yes, societal-based. It still hasn't changed, right? It is harder for a woman to achieve um, spiritual liberation, even today. But it's not because of her sex. It's because of societal pressure and cultural norms. If the woman does the housework, I mean, guilty, right? If the woman raises the children, even if she does 60% of the work, now women are expected to go out and work, right? We talked about this. How is this fair that we have a 50% cabinet when even if men helped women at a 50-50% rate, women still have to give birth to the children and thus have a certain amount of recovery. Even if we mandate protection for their careers for that time they're off, there's still going to be, let's be honest, this is, where, this is where you're in the illusory state. So if you just say, well, yeah, women should be equal, but you ignore that simple fact that by and large women on a greater scale will choose their family over a career. So even if 10% of women will choose to stay home with their children, even if it costs them uh, advancement in their career, now that kind of erodes that argument before that, you know, women in business and in success are exponentially more successful than men. What about the fact that, you know, there's 10 or 15 or 20% fewer women, right? Remember, if 10% of women choose to stay home, and again, that's a low number. If 10% of women choose to stay home and uh, prioritize their family, which is nothing, again, the cultural norm failing here is people that would think that that's a lesser choice. I mean, right? That's what's sad. She, the women should be allowed to make that choice. And if you start saying, well, it should be equal, the number of women MPs, the number of women CEOs, well, then you're actually shaming the women for wanting to make a natural choice. You're, you're actually shaming the women that choose family over career, which I find incredibly sad. But I digress. As I said, if 10%, which is a low number, of women choose to stay home uh, and prioritize their family over a career, that means 20% less women in you know, business or as potential CEOs or as potential MPs. So... Like I said before, when you go and start saying, well, half my cabinet is female, well, then you have chosen based on sex, which is the opposite of equality, right? Same as if you're reading the teachings of Buddhism, and it's telling you that all this labels and this differentiates, think about this. I have just spent over a year teaching exactly this, that all of these delusions, these arbitrary labels, the differentiation that we make are all based in the mind. Imagine how much teaching a nun may have received. And yet, here she sits, uh, broadcasting a YouTube video, telling people all about how horrible Buddhism is because it's sexist. And, and like I said, literally a true believer that karma uh, is, well, once again, karma is something that carries uh, over from life to life. That's a whole separate uh, discussion. But here she's saying that it is tougher for a woman, but she's saying it's because of her sex, right? Rather than the real problem, right? So here we go again. 
Here's someone who's a nun learning Buddhism and should know better, yet she is saying she's a victim of this discrimination, yet she is propagating the same discrimination, right? Because you should be looking at any reference to this misogyny or even, right, uh, abusive feminism, you should be calling it out, right? Because if someone were to suggest, if I were present, someone were to suggest that it's harder for a woman to achieve enlightenment because of her sex, uh, sex, I would find that abhorrently um, malevolent. I mean, if you're teaching the Dharma, how dare you teach such a ridiculous idea, right? Yes, because of social norms and cultural mores and all this other jazz that we need to get past. Those are human failings, not Buddhist, right? You can use the Noble Eightfold Path to deal with all that. It's like, okay, should I hire this woman or this man? No, it's all based on qualification, right? And if they're of equal qualifications and all this jazz, then that's when you could, you know, but if you make it based solely on sex rather than just, you know, cultural fit or anything else, some sort of arbitrary decision, if you make it solely based on sex, how is that advancing this equality agenda, right? So no different. How is a nun advancing this equanimity idea, this emptiness, this oneness idea, right? Not to mention when you're a Theravadin nun, all you really care about is your own liberation. So why would you care about what the sutta said, about whether it's harder for a man or a woman? Like, who cares what some other dumbass said, right, a thousand years ago? Doesn't even apply to you, right? Because again, I want to go back to the Pali tradition over and over. I keep saying it, but the Buddha said, you got to take what makes sense and leave the rest because he knew he warned us about degenerate sex. There was 84,000 degenerate sex. Now, that may have been an exaggeration, again, by the failings of the humans that wrote this down later. But he told us even in the time of the Buddha, there was degenerate sex. And there's stories all over. So where is it in us that's going to believe this junk, right? If you read something that says that a woman is lesser, well... Who's really lesser here? This isn't the tradition. This is the human that uses that term, right? Arguably, whether they believe it or not matters as well, but that's not what we're talking about here today. What we're talking about is this attachment or aversion, right? So we'll leave it at that. Um, I know I kind of tried to round it up earlier, but... Okay, so I thought I'd just finish it out with something that kind of maybe rounds it all and ties it all up into a package. So, as um, that young lady monk said, she's right. Uh, the Tibetans were very sexist for a long time. The Tibetans, not Tibetan Buddhism. Um, and if Tibetan Buddhism was, again, that was a fault of the people, the men, uh, not the philosophy. Um, so, what do we do? Do we simply wring our hands and say, no, jeez, it's so terrible the way things are? No, we're Buddhists. We're supposed to empower ourselves to find a solution or accept.
for what it is. So for me, when I found out that these nuns in the Tibetan tradition weren't getting the same support as the men, and in fact, it's only in the last couple years, or even the last year, that we've had some of our first Geshe nuns, so a PhD in Tibetan Buddhism, were only just awarded recently. So what do we choose to do? Do we wring our hands and go, no, there's nothing we can do about it? It's like this nun who's saying how terrible these things are. Well, I will tell you what I chose to do. This is over 30 years ago now. When I found that out, I chose to be um, an example of change. So I made sure that I did not support anything that would do that and would treat it that way. Now, I do consider myself a follower of uh, Dalai Lama, His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama. I've followed everything, uh, speeches and everything he's written, but not holy, right? Because again, he was still part of a tradition that didn't allow women to get their PhD. So was I going to give up my education and my... Um, my path? No. So what I chose to do was at the same time as learning uh, this tradition of Yogacara, Chittamartra. Um, I sound like I have marbles in my mouth this morning. but So I chose to support this wonderful charity called the Tibetan Nuns Project. And what was it? They were selling, you know, accoutrement. Right? Mala, bracelets, um, uh, prayer flags, right? And what did that support? It was to support, at the time, 30 plus years ago, it was to give these poor nuns who were having to practice in the outdoors. doors, some of them were in, in buildings with no roof. So let's fast forward 30 years. I've gotten uh, just about all of my mala. In fact, all of my mala, except for ones that I liberated from, say, a thrift store. All my malas a prayer flag. Um, I mean, I can't even remember. It's been over 30 years since I've been supporting this charity. I mean, it started, I used to have to travel four or five hours to go to a store where I could get these uh, accoutrements. Not, not, um, not as uh, one of the fetters, as I mentioned, not rites, rituals, or ceremony. Right? Just as I invented my own uh, traditions, Right? These are simply to awaken awareness in myself. Right, So simply buying malas and prayer flags and, and honestly for years simply sharing this with other Buddhists. Now there's, I've lost count of how many monasteries they've opened for nuns. Um, now I don't know how many uh, Geshe nuns we have now, which is fabulous. Right? So I didn't choose to wring my hands. I chose to make a difference where I could. I'm not in Tibet. I'm not in India. I'm over here. But I found a way to make that change, manifest that difference. Either accept or do what you can. As I've said before, and I mean, same as environmental. Right? It's about intention. Do you want to do better? So the wife and I began a number of years ago switching to this more conscious, um, you know, consumption. 
And it wasn't highlighted for us, same as this here, um, my support, uh, as well as the, uh, the inequality in Tibetan Buddhism, it didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't ignore it, nor did I, uh, did I allow it uh, to continue. It was something I would speak up about, same as I would uh, this nun who was talking about uh, how much harder it was for, for a woman to achieve liberation. It's not her karma. Certainly not her karma. Arguably it is. I know I've explained this before that um, because she has drank the Kool-Aid, therefore regrets her own sex, therefore there's the karma, which is an internal force. I mean, liken it to regret, but you know what I mean. This is not um, she's become a woman because of her negative karma. I mean, it's just silly. I mean, I personally see it as a test. If... Uh, you're born into a difficult situation, it's just all the better, right? It allows you to work through it, right? Same as me, my hands aren't working so good this morning because of inflammation. Um, but I just work around it. So again, what am I getting at here? What am I getting at? So I didn't even notice that uh, all of the... Uh, the changes that we had made for environmental, or all of the changes and the, the differences that I had made myself in my life, until it was highlighted by external, right? Again, I shouldn't be paying attention, but we were watching uh, a channel specifically devoted to um, reducing your impact on the environment and such. And so uh, in lockdown, they were looking for content and they wandered around their apartment, showing off um, again, Right? For ego, I say, but neither here nor there. Wandering around their apartment, showing off, oh, look what we did. And I'll just, I can't remember them all. As I said, it just highlighted how much we had done to change our life for us and nothing else. Not to share, not for kudos. But the only one I can remember, they're in the bathroom. They're in the bathroom. And uh, again, it's absolutely ridiculous to me because I'll give you two simple examples. They're in the bathroom. The only item they could point to was their toothbrush, right? I mean, you could also get a brush made of bamboo and it's not plastic. You could, uh, you know, go to more, like we switched to an environmental type cotton, right? Not produced by slave labor uh, or, uh, you know, noxious chemicals used in the production and all this jazz. They could only point to one thing in the bathroom and it was just, I mean... When we were sitting there talking about it, the wife and I, we could point to a half dozen things just in the bathroom or the kitchen alone. Right? Same as when this nun's talking about, oh, this is all so bad and there's so much sex. Yeah, that's, that's human-based. And what are you doing about it besides sitting there griping, and wringing your hands and talking about how much harder it is? Right? And that wasn't highlight for me what we have done ourselves and as well how much further we have to go but do we start making a difference i mean i'm guilty of this myself thinking oh what can i do i do my reading in the I Ching today and it tells me this 10 years that i've been sick was just so i could uh, 
develop my virtue and you know my uh, my truthfulness and my um, uprightness uh, to be able to share I mean it's it's tough to swallow but again that's your ego it tries to uh, it's funny it tries to minimize the incredible power of the human brain and our and our potential but at the same time it makes the simple achievements seem extraordinary, right? Uh, of awareness and uh, to not be tortured by your own silly thoughts. I mean, oh my, most of us go, oh God, if only, if only I could achieve such a state. Same as the meditation. That's why I commonly say that to sit on a cushion, sequester yourself from the world, it works, but is it really helping? You know what I mean? Like saying, um, I mean, I think of uh, Northern Exposure. I think it was its final fifth or sixth season uh, when the uh, the gentleman I can't remember his name, Mike Green, I think it was the gentleman who had environmental sensitivity and allergies. So he sequestered himself away from the world in this little uh, biodome, and the show itself goes on and highlights what a what a farce it was because he didn't heal till he started to expose himself to, uh, to what uh, caused him distress. <laughs> you can see the parallels now, right? Because um, we can go and sequester ourselves away from life, right? And we can do that by either sitting down and convincing ourselves that we're doing it right and, you know, we've, we've achieved this stillness here on the cushion or um, we've renounced the world and we're living in a monastery and we're doing our little YouTube videos and we're so peaceful and we're so, you know, enlightened. Okay, so we'll just round it out with what I was saying, right? So you can sit there and wring your hands and go, oh, what can I do, right? I was born a female and I'm just, I'm, I'm less than, or the race, or this, or that, or not this, or not that, or both this and that. All these delusions are based in the self. That's why I say these truths tend to flow backwards to the source, which is ego. Right? If it's a fact, well then work out a solution and work towards it. Right? How often do we see this even present within Buddhism that, uh, I mean, I see it all the time. I mean, uh, to stop following some practitioners because they'll go, like I said, that uh, movie Plandemic will go uh, no different. Uh, you'll have, say, a monk or a nun or someone will carry on and on and on for 20 minutes about what a horrible situation the environment is and then boom. Right? No solution, no truth, no understanding, no way out. Just simply wringing of the hands. Right? Not what we're looking to do. Right? It's either acceptance, right? Or it's action. Right? Again, we keep going back to this idea. Krishna said that yes, achievement or um, awareness can be achieved 
attained is not a great word, but, you know, it's, it's limited in English. Awareness can be maintained, right, via jnana yoga. I know, I do a terrible job of the JN, and, and same as the N's with the uh, little uh, wavy cap, which is pronounced like an N and a J. I have a hard time with that. So don't laugh at me, but if you want to laugh at me, that's fine, because I don't mind. I'm laughing at myself, too. But, as Krishna said to Arjuna, right, jnana yoga, knowledge yoga, wisdom yoga, certainly achieve what you're after, which is awareness and uh, integration in that tradition. Not different in any way from some of the other traditions, just words, definitions more often than not are different, nothing else. Perspective. Right? That's why he said it's more important to work towards karma yoga. Right? Because it's action. Right? It's getting off that cushion. Right? When you've used, and I love this, if you go, and I'll actually just ask you for this, is go and look up the root, not the Buddhist definition of shamatha, but the Pali or Pakrit or Sanskrit, depending, right? Just take a look. Shamatha, it's a shared word across a number of traditions. I highly recommend Warner's Pali English Dictionary. You can go and take a look, and let's see if <laughs> this is funny. Ah, there you go. I'm still on the page. So, well, not exactly, but samachita, possessed of equanimity, equality, equality in the mind, right? So I love that too. Remember, samachita, right, which is balanced mind, sama, balanced or best, right? Remember how I mentioned that in my last, I talked about sama with one M or two. They mean very similar, but not identical. Same as pati with one T or two, <laughs> not the same, Right? Same as sama. Sama with two M's means perfect or ultimate. Sama with one M means even, equal, similar, calmness, tranquility. And samaka is equal, like, same. Right? So that's why samachita, possessed of equanimity. It's interesting, right? Samachita, with the little accent at the end, that's the equality in mind. Right? I love how it says that, because you can see it as equality in mind, or just equality kept in mind. Right? Always, balance. Right? A golden mean. But shamatha, right? Masculine. It's calm. Quietude of heart, settlement of legal questions. Now you add shamatha with bhavana, it's the way of concentrating the mind. Interesting, right? Because it's a two-sided uh, practice. And I keep talking about sati, um, mindfulness, or to remember, or to abide in that remembering. But we're to remember the Noble Eightfold Path and the marks of existence, but if you have a hard time, you're not supposed to go and sequester yourself uh, onto 
a cushion. What you're supposed to do is use shamatha, right? As I said, quietude of the heart, right? Settlement of legal questions I find kind of funny, but calm, quietude of the heart, right? Settling questions, right? And how do we do that? We use it with a vipassana. It's not a brand. It's not a, uh, a particular, no, vipassana just means insight, right? Um, uh, kind of like from the Tao when it says you sit passionless so that's your shamatha to be calm, right? Equality in heart, right? And to intent to have intent, right? Not being lazy right? So that's your vipassana pardon me while I'm looking for vipassana in, like I said, Warner's Pali English Dictionary. Highly recommend it if you're a Buddhist. Um, it just really, it can really give you a deeper insight into this. Is why they use, as I said many times before, they use the language um, because of. It's funny, like I said, the nun would say, that, oh, the word for woman is synonym for uh, inferior. Well, gosh, it's also an inferior. It's also a symbol for, I don't know, like a pen for a yak or something. You know what I mean? Like, so. So Vipassana. Simply means very clear, pure, bright. Originally. Right? So all this meaning that we've put into it is external. Right? Right? Because if you go back up and look at Vipa, Vipa is simply a Brahman. Right? 